I'm here today with um, our old friend, Megan Hoyt. Uh, many of you probably remember Megan. She's been on the Mason Jar before. She's a homeschooling mom who is heavily involved in the Charlotte Mason community, and she is a, a, a prolific author. She's written several books, including Hildegard's Gifts, and um, which is the book we're going to talk about today. And she's also, um, Megan has a bachelor's degree in English and history from Southern Methodist University and a master's in theology from Regent University. But um, she loves to write for children, as we already know, um, in the Charlotte Mason community. But Megan has introduced me recently to one of her friends who is also an author and uh, by the name of Gail Boss. And in the spirit of Charlotte Mason and living books, I'm very, very happy to introduce you to Gail and to talk to you about Gail's Advent book, um, um, which is um, titled All Creation Waits. It's a beautiful, beautiful book illustrated by David G. Klein, and it, it's, a, it's just a wonderful nature study uh, Advent book. It's quite, quite different than, than the usual Advent offerings. And so in, in conjunction with me, me releasing my Advent book, a hallelujah, um, Megan and I just thought it'd be awesome to just have a, to sit down and the three of us just talk about Advent and, and, and writing and all the wonderful things, um, that go into that. So Gail is from Michigan. She, um, uh, is she has a great love of animals. Uh, she lives in Grand Rapids now, and it says she lives with her husband and a Welsh corgi called Jesse. Uh, when I recently went to England, it was I, I felt so happy when I saw a little corgi walking along the road. I just felt like that was uh, an iconic moment in my life. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, we are. Um, uh, I'm going to let Megan. Um, Tell us a little bit about um, a giveaway she's doing, and then we'll just get into talking um, with Gail also. So, Megan, what is going on? Well, it started when my publisher, Paraclete Press, contacted me and said, there's this beautiful book called All Creation Waits, and anything you'd like to do to help publicize this for Advent, um, we welcome just anything. It was it was really to all the authors. And... Um, I looked at it and I thought, this is all about nature study. This belongs in Charlotte Mason group setting. So I just thought, well, I wrote a book called Hildegard's Gift, which usually sells well around Christmas time because of the word gift in the title. It's funny. <laughs> it's just, it's not about Christmas, but it's just, it's a really. But it is a beautiful it, gift book. It, yeah. It, it's a great thing when you don't know what to get that kid that is your kid's best friend or whatever, or maybe somebody in the neighborhood who's not a Christian, you might want to just give them a Christmas gift of that. But anyway, I thought, well, let's do a giveaway. So I asked them and they said, sure, we'll send you three copies of each book and go for it. And then I thought, oh, I've never done a giveaway. How do I do that? So I talked <laughs> to all my friends who've done them before and they said, this is what you do and this is how it goes. So you go to my website, meganhoyt.com net backslash blog and there's a post all about the giveaway and lots of different ways you can enter like you can get your name in it i think for mine six different times really easily just you know follow me on twitter or what all these different ways you can do it and then comment on the blog to let me know you did it and um please review our books because that helps it get bumped up in amazon and that way we can minister to people sometimes someone 
reads a book like Gail's that's about nature, it's not threatening or intimidating. They're not a Christian, you know, and then the Holy Spirit just sort of seeps into their hearts indirectly. And so I love it when our books come up on other people's searches and if you review them, they come up more frequently on Amazon. That's that's right. So it gives it gives all these books a chance to be be heard and seen by a wider audience and just our own particular audiences, which can sometimes be insular. Yeah. Um, so um, it help it helps all of us when um, we have a broad audience. Now, what is the hashtag for that um, for that giveaway? Oh yeah, um, all in for Advent. Okay, so I absolutely, I've said this before, I said it on our last podcast when we were introducing my Advent book, but I love Advent books. So I immediately, when I saw All Creation Waits, I I got a a copy of it on Kindle, and it is a beautiful, beautiful book. I, um, and it, it is quite different from the usual Advent offerings. So let's, I want to talk to Gail a little bit about her writing in general, but first let's take a second and just talk about All Creation Waits um, with Gail. Gail, um, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Uh, Yeah, it's like most books, I think, or in the minds of the authors anyway. It's difficult to summarize in a sentence. The book came about because I was frustrated 22 years ago with Advent calendars. I wanted an Advent calendar for my then four-year-old son, but all the Advent calendars I could find in stores had pictures of candy canes or manger scenes, which I knew from some church history research were Christmas pictures, but not Advent pictures. I knew from that research that Advent is rooted in the earth and its seasons, and it has to do with waiting in the dark. The early fathers of the church instituted the liturgies of Advent because their parishioners, their fourth century agricultural people congregations, were very fearful at this time of the year. Yet They were celebrating their harvest, but they were also watching the sun disappear. And they didn't know that it would come back next year, even if it came back last year. And so the church fathers said, we're going to step right into that fear and we're going to institute a season called Advent in which we say to people, yes, the light and life are going away, but whenever light and life go away, there is one who comes to us and that one brings us always a new beginning, which is the central message of the gospel. But knowing that Advent then was about, it was originally meant to be about waiting with all creation in the dark, I had to make an advent calendar that had pictures of all creation waiting in the dark. So so I made one. I made one in which I drew behind the little cutout doors pictures of a turtle, for example, buried in the mud and waiting, and other animals. And then finally, it took me 17 years to come up with the idea for a book. I'm, I'm kind of slow on the uptake sometimes, And finally, 17 years later, I thought, oh, this might make a really interesting book for adults. Um, So I wrote the book with adults in mind. The prose is very much uh, slanted toward adults, but the pictures really intrigue children. And many readers have told me that their children lean over and read the book, and then they end up reading it with their children so that it becomes quite a family book. I could see, especially in a Charlotte Mason family where the children are very used to reading 
um, uh, higher levels of prose, that this this mm-hmm. would be something that you could read to your your family. I was family thinking that's very accessible Advent. for like upper elementary and on. Mm-hmm. And and I like that it would be a book that you could use with other Advent materials because it is so different from the usual Advent materials. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just brings in, like you said, this whole, it does really remind us what a- a- Advent is all about. I mean, some of us don't come from a, a rich tradition of liturgy and, mm-hmm. and the church calendar. And so, and we're just kind of grasped leaning into that and learning about mm-hmm. it. And here, this book comes along and, and really in a concrete way, kind of illustrates what that's all about. I find that mm-hmm. extremely compelling. And, yeah, and, and I would helpful. say, for readers who don't know some of what I just described, that's all in the introduction. So you can oh, get your little introduction to the liturgical history of Advent by, by reading the book's introduction. Yes, yes. Now, is this the first book you've written? Yeah, it's the first complete book I've written. I've contributed to other books, but never a standalone of my own. I'm a now, slow when writer. I- yeah, but it's a great idea. So it, it, I see, I know how that works where you think about something for a long time and then mm-hmm. suddenly one day it, it, it kind of mm-hmm. writes itself, you could almost say. Maybe maybe there's more work to it than that. But, <laughs> you know, when I saw that you were from Michigan, and I, I don't know if you're about your illustrator, but it, your book reminded me of the um, Sam Campbell books. Have you seen mm. those books? No, I haven't. Um, he, He's a Michigan writer, and he uh, has written a book, I think it's called Where's Inky? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he has a whole bunch of nature books mm-hmm. and um, with beautiful pencil drawings. And, and your book so much reminded me of him. And then when mm-hmm. I saw you were from Michigan, I thought um, how interesting that was. So, and I know many of our listeners have probably read some of Sam Campbell's animal stories. Mm-hmm. Um, they're mm-hmm. written for children, but they're also on a pretty high level, mm-hmm. reading level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when, when did you, um, how did you go about getting this down on paper? Did you start like last year or how, how long has it taken? <laughs> As I said, I'm a very slow writer. Um, that's interesting. So I made the advent calendar in 1995 and then in 2012, I was walking along the edge of a pond on a late on a Sunday afternoon in December and I saw a muskrat at the edge of the pond, and I thought, oh, I don't know what muskrats do. So I went right home, and I did a Google search about muskrats, and I learned, and I thought, oh, that's an animal that could have been on my advent calendar, though it wasn't. And that's when it struck me that, oh, here's a new animal. I'll bet there might be 24 of them. I could write a book that talks about all of 24 animals that are good symbols for how a healthy soul might respond to the dark and cold. So I started in uh, January of 2013, and I didn't finish till January of 2016. Um, so it took me three years to write the 24 portraits. And, and as you two know from seeing the book, they're short. Each one is only 500 words. But um, I tend to labor over every word, so it takes me a while. But that and I shows also in the beauty of the living comes forward. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I, I was also going to say um, it, it might not have taken me so long if I could write on it full time, but I, I can't. So um, I did when I, I did it when I could. 
Do you have a full time? Do you have another job that you do uh, full time or part time? Uh, I work as a freelance writer from home, uh, but I have freelance projects ongoing, which are often on deadline, to which I have to get yes. some writing attention. <laughs> Yeah. So now do you see yourself now that you've got, so you're obviously um, a writer. Um, do you see yourself writing any more books? Do you have anything else up your sleeve at this point? Yeah, I do. I've, I've, I've got one that I worked on some this morning uh, that actually is an outgrowth of the Advent book. I got a lot of feedback, emails and correspondence from readers who read the Advent book and said to me, do you have anything for Lent? This was really great in our congregation, in our parish. We It brought together people of all ages mm-hmm. in a book group for Advent, and we'd like to do something like this for Lent on animals. Do you have one? And I said, mm-hmm. no. And at first I really, well, something short of scoffing, but something like scoffing. I thought, I, I don't want to be that person <laughs> who writes an Advent book about animals and a Lent book about animals. And so I just dismissed it. And then things started to happen that made it difficult to resist. I was hearing in my prayers that maybe I needed to engage a little more in the suffering of animals. There's not a lot of suffering in the All Creation Waits book. It's just joy and amazement. Um, And then I was at my parents' house in northern Michigan during... Christmas, and they had an old copy of National Geographic in which there was a story about orangutans. Uh, and I tried to read the story, and it was too painful. I keep, I put it away, and I would go back to it and then put it away. Um, and and finally, I just said, I, I think I need to read it. So I did, and it was about the, uh, how close we are to losing orangutans from the planet. And then I had a friend called me and want to have lunch with me and she handed me a copy of Audubon magazine and she said read this article this is what I think you need to write next and it was about a little migratory bird called the red knot that is also on the verge of extinction so I sort of got the message from the Holy Spirit and (laughs) thought all right I'll try a Lenten book each of the meditations will be about an animal that's endangered and uh, the part that we humans are playing to cause their extinction, so that it becomes a book about confession and repentance for the ways we're harming the planet so that our animal sisters and brothers can't uh, survive. I'm also, I will say, because it's Lenten and we're heading toward Easter, I'm trying to find some hope in it, Uh, but it's it's difficult. You know, I'm reading a book by one of my favorite living authors is a lady named Susan Hill. And I'm reading a book. Um, she's a British author. And she has a book that I'm reading right now called Jacob's Room is Full of Books. And one of the things, and it's just basically uh, Susan's essays on life and things that she thinks. Uh, um, but one of the things that she mentions is that um, the predator birds... There are so many predator birds in England, and at one point I think they were in danger, but now um, they've they've made a comeback. But as a result, they are eating the songbirds, Mm -hmm. and there are less and less songbirds. Um, And it's such a delicate balance there between um, 
these animals and we get involved and, and kind of com make it even more complex. Mm -hmm. But um, I just, um, I found that really terribly sad that, that the songbirds would be something that were endangered. Yeah. And that um, imbalance yeah. is only happening in England and here because we're destroying the habitat of creatures so that they're crowded into smaller and smaller spaces. Hmm. Now, one of the things I noticed um, in, the, in the materials Megan sent me, uh, one of the things that in the Charlotte Mason world that people like to talk about a lot are habits. Mm -hmm. You have, um, you. it seems like you live a, a, a habitual life <laughs> that you've set up your your life in, in, a, in, a, in a liturgical kind of way. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, it is. So I, I just like, just for the fun of it. Yeah, it, it almost verges on obsession, I suppose. Um, or do you mean, Cindy, uh, daily habits or seasonal yeah, habits? Yeah, like you get up in the morning mm. and you have a, a particular way you go about your, your day. Yeah, it's it, and um, I like it best when that routine does not vary. I even get a little fussy about holidays because <laughs> I, I don't like variance, um, which is the reason that I say it can sometimes border on obsession. Yeah, I get up at 5.30 every morning. And um, I just walk next door to the Calvin College Fieldhouse, the gym, and I spend some time getting a little exercise so that I wake up because I'm so slow to wake up uh, in the morning. Mm. Uh, then I come back home and I go out with my Welsh Gordy, Jess, and we feed squirrels and we feed birds and we walk around in the backyard and in the little woods right behind my house. Um, and then I have uh, breakfast and morning prayers I spend about an hour each morning in centering prayer and reading the lectionary scriptures for the day. And then I sit down at my desk. I'm usually there by quarter of nine each morning, and I write until noon. Uh, on the best days, I get to write on whatever new book or new creative project I'm working on. Uh, then Jesse and I have lunch together, and we go out for a walk again in the woods or in the neighborhood. Uh, and then I sit back down in the afternoon and I write on my freelance projects, whatever they happen to be at that time. So it's like writing in the morning for love and writing in the afternoon for money. <laughs> okay. Well, that's neat that you do the love first and the money second, because a lot of people do the, the money first and the love afterwards. No, I, I know what motivates me, and it's uh, uh, it's writing for love. Yeah. Um, and you know, what you said reminded me too, that we do have, God has given us Sabbath breaks and they, and sometimes, and sometimes we are reluctant to take them because mm, yeah. um, they mess up our, our little, our comfortable yeah. routines. And yet our routines are so much richer when we, when we let those Sabbath breaks in and uh, we, right. we give into them. Um, but I know yeah. that feeling. Um, I know when January 1st rolls around, um, I'm, or, or not January 1st, but, you know, as, as things settle down after the holidays, I know I'm really, mm -hmm. really ready for the kind of the sparseness of January mm -hmm. after the uh, feasting of December. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I used to feel, I, I've written about this, but I used to feel guilty about that. Like, oh, the, you know, I've just, the media has just been fattening me up. And now in January, they're trying to get us to all go back, you know, and yet now mm -hmm. I realize that that's a natural thing that we feast and we fast and, mm -hmm. and that's normal. That that's the normal part of the way um, God made us and not, um, we're not totally being manipulated. <laughs> yes. Right. Mm -hmm. 
although I will I will add in there just that that reminds me to say only and this is in the introduction to all creation waits to I do think the media and commercialism has manipulated us so that we forget what Advent is mm, all about both traditionally and still in the most I think faithful Christian circles it's about being still and waiting. The early church, do you know the practices of the early church in Advent were similar to the practices of Lent? They Mm -hmm. included fasting, they included praying, they included giving away belongings because they want, the church wanted people like the natural world to strip down to what is most essential so that then we remember that we already have at our heart what we need to survive the dark and cold. We have the Christ within us. But yeah. we, we forget that when we get all caught up in the distractions. And, and the media and the commercial culture wants us to forget. Yes, I think you're right. And that's why some of the early Advent, the, some of the hymns that, that traditionally um, we sing in Adv- early Advent are more mournful. They're, yeah. um, they're not all jolly, uh, happy songs. They're, right. they're very much. And then as the season goes along, of course, you know, we get closer to the, the, the ringing of the bells and the joyful carols. Mm-hmm. But really, traditionally, it, it, it starts as a period of more mourning mm-hmm. and, and breaking into um, the light. So it is and it is a time of darkness mm-hmm. um, as the even in the in the um, as the days grow shorter and shorter and shorter mm-hmm. and. Um, well, this is very, very uh, your book is beautiful. Um, we're, uh, I'm so happy that Megan um, has been, I, I feel like a lot of families are going to um, really appreciate it. And uh, one of the things, uh, you probably don't know this, but about the homeschooling community, or especially about the Charlotte Mason community, is that it's very much, um, you don't grow out of it when your kids grow up. You're still, um, you're still someone. So a lot of moms uh, that are older, are, are still um, living with the rhythms that they developed mm-hmm. with their children in their own homes, even after their children have mm-hmm. grown up and gone away. So your book will be a perfect addition to that. Mm-hmm. I know it's going to be, um, I like to have my little a- Advent routines and my little daily, this is what I read now mm-hmm. and this is what I read now. So I'm going to put your book right up there Thank you. Um, with, with mine. Um, now, Megan, I'm still here. Let me. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Megan. Hi. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your book? I know um, many people are familiar with it, but not everybody is. And, and Megan's book, Hildegard's Gifts, is a beautiful, beautiful um, book. And I, we were, I was just at a homeschooling uh, event, and we were, uh, and I, I mentioned that I was going to be talking to you. And, and, and so many of the girls were like, oh, we just love Megan's books. Um, your your um, other book, The Music, um, A Touch of the Infinite, is very popular for good, with good reason. And um, um, so, but this is more of a picture book than that book. Yes, this is for children, definitely. And it really came out of composer study. I mean, everything with me is music, right? (laughs) But we were studying Hildegard and I thought, oh, a woman composer, usually it's men, right? And Mm -hmm. a medieval woman composer, that's interesting. And she was a nun and it was chant music. um, And it's beautiful, haunting, um, gorgeous melodies. And then I just started looking 
at her life more closely, and I thought, oh, my word, this woman is amazing. For the time period especially, she was like the original feminist in a way Mm -hmm. because she did things that women just never were allowed to do. She advised um, popes and princes and um, you can find her letters online. I suppose if you Google them, you can read her actual letters to Bernard of Clairvaux and to the Pope who was misbehaving and she corrected him. She offered him a corrective word. And um, so I was just fascinated. And then I found out um, she was an herbalist she had devised all sorts of remedies for various things from chewing willow bark, mm-hmm. which is where we get aspirin, for a headache, um, to just all sorts of things that I think today we would find odd that I don't think actually worked. But different <laughs> remedies for people with brown eyes than blue eyes and mm-hmm. things like that. It was just very creative. But she said that she heard the voice of God and she saw visions from God. And people back then were, I think, more receptive to that than today probably um, today people talk about her maybe having epilepsy or, um, I don't know, they, there's all sorts of things you can say rather than that God actually spoke to this woman. But what she wrote was remarkable, and it's hard to believe that this uneducated nun could have just come up with that. Kind of like the disciples, you know, you think, these fishermen wrote that? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. But yeah, she did. So I just fell in love with her, and I thought, I'm going to write a little story about her um, just while homeschooling my children. And I I did, and just turned it in, submitted it to Paraclete Press, and they liked it and decided to publish it. But it's just, her life is so amazing. And at the end of it, I wanted to, you know... You don't generally find in a picture book biography the author addressing the reader directly, but I wanted children to know that they are uniquely gifted and they're a gift from God to the world, basically, like Hildegard was in her time. You know, we take what God's placed in us, the gifts and talents, and spend them on the world as believers. That's, you know, our calling not just to evangelize, but to use our gifts wisely and everything. So... I added on the last couple of pages, you know, Hildegard had a gift and you had a gift too. And, you know, mm-hmm. some are athletes and acrobats, some are singers and dancers, some are artists and some paint pictures with words. Um, but we all have gifts. And I wanted kids to know, you know, you may be young, but you have a gift as well. You might have to go searching for it. It might not just show up like Hildegard's, but we each have this precious gift given to us by God and the Holy Spirit residing in us mm-hmm. enables us to express it. So that was my hope, was that kids would read it and learn about Hildegard, but then get to those last couple of pages and say, oh, she's not the only mm-hmm. one. I can have a gift too. The, the, the gift is from God, so it's available to whoever, oh, to whomever he gives gifts to. Yes. Right. Um, well, yeah. And it's a very pretty book. It's, um, I love the colors theme in the book. And um, did you, did you know, Dave Hill did a great job with the illustrations. I was concerned because when you are published traditionally, you don't get to choose the illustrator. Mm-hmm. So there's always this moment where you're just, Oh, I hope it's good. What if it's some weird, you know, modern angular, character that doesn't right. really look like a person you know because yeah. you never know these days but I mean I should have because Paraclete Press doesn't do that sort of thing but 
he did a remarkable job. He's Scottish. I think he lives in London now. Oh, wow. Um, but look him up, Dave Hill. You can see more of his illustrations online. He's really, really good. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it's a beautiful book, and it's it's a perfect book for, for uh, to give as a gift with at Christmas. I know in our family we like to give books as, as gifts for years, mm-hmm. you know, that was the one for sure gift everybody got was one, one beautiful book. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm, I'm sure you you've done the same thing, something similar in your, your family also. Um, how about, let me ask you a question. Could you, I, I wanted to ask Gail this and I will ask mm-hmm. Gail this after I talk to you. Is there a, is there a little excerpt you could read of the book to us? Oh, sure. Um, there's, a happy page and a not-so-happy page. <laughs> Your choice. <laughs> uh, okay, well, they lead right into each other. Okay, okay, good. Hildegard drew shining pictures of happy children, flowers and trees, swirls and curls, clouds and sunshine. Sometimes Hildegard's gift showed up big and broad, blue and yellow and green and white, loud and strong or quiet and whispering. Her head filled with music and colors and pictures, so many that Hildegard had a hard time remembering them all. Hildegard loved her gift, but it made her tired, and Hildegard got headaches. Sometimes they were tingly and tangly, stabbing and rubbing. Other times they were prickly and stiff, pounding and jabbing. She grew pale and sad. Hildegard worried that her gift might not be such a good thing Mm -hmm. after all. Mm. Wow, That's, that's beautiful. You'll have to read it to find yeah, out what happened. Yeah, I, I, I am. I have read it, and now I want to go back and read it again. Well, thank you, Megan. Thank you very much. Um, Gail, do you have a passage from your book that you could share with us? Uh, yeah, I thought I would read uh, the, a paragraph from the portrait of the painted turtle, how the painted turtle survives when it's very cold and harsh especially here in Michigan when her pond freezes over. Uh, This is one paragraph from near the end of that portrait of the painted turtle. As ice locks in the marsh water and howling squalls batter its reeds and brush, beneath it all she waits. It is her one work, and it is not easy. Oxygen depletion stresses every particle of her. Lactic acid pools in her bloodstream. Her muscles begin to burn, her heart muscle too, a deadly sign. That acid has to be neutralized, and calcium is the element to do it. Out of her bones, then out of her shell, her body pulls calcium, slowly dissolving her structure, her shape, her strength. But to move to escape, requiring breath in a place where there is no oxygen, that would suffocate her. So... Though she is dissolving, every stressed particle of her stays focused on the silver bead of utter quietude. Hmm. Wow. That was beautiful. <laughs> mm. And and I've already learned something that I didn't know. So, <laughs> Well, the book is full of that kind of natural history. And that was one of the challenges of writing the book is to read so much scientific literature, Mm. first to try to understand it, and then second to try to distill it to uh, 500 lovely words. Oh, yes. (laughs) That that Mm. is hard. Um, um. And there's so many layers. Like, you've got the layer of the scientific knowledge Mm. and the layer 
of the, the deep work within mm. our hearts, right. you know, as we wait. Right. Yeah, so and that's, that's what so I intended for the whole book, all those portraits. That each of those animals is really a metaphor. It's a picture for us of what we, one way we could respond in a healthy way when we're faced with a dark time in our lives, whether it's a dark literal season of the, of the earth or whether it's a dark season in our emotional and spiritual lives. One response is the turtle's response is to go so quiet and so still that it feels like you might be coming apart. But to be focused on that kind of quiet and trust that life will warm again, that one will come to you now. You see, Cindy, that's why I wanted you to have Gail come on, mm -hmm. because this is the sign of a living book. And it's so hard sometimes to explain, especially someone new to Charlotte Mason, what is a living book? But then there are those books that speak at you mm -hmm. or that only give you one layer. And I'm sure you could find a book on painted turtles. Was that, did I get it right? Painted box turtle? Oh, a painted turtle, but, yeah. Painted turtle. Mm -hmm. But would it have this? No. Right. This is what makes it alive. This is a living book. Yes. I could, I could see this book being a part of the um, mother's, um, the, you know, the mother's course, Charlotte Mason, um, encourage mothers to keep learning. And, and, and this is something that would not only speak to you, like you said, on a scientific level, but also to your heart. And, mm -hmm. and I can't help but think that it, it, it's like you're saying about suffering. These animals are kind of giving us permission to know how to, to face suffering. Right. Uh, maybe, you know, we're, we're meant to be quiet and still sometimes and not, right. um, not we, we don't have to feel guilt if, if there is a season in our life where right. we, we have to hunker down and, and know right. that that is a season and there'll, there'll be another season later when, Maybe we can be more productive and more fruitful. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes we can't can't be productive and fruitful until we've been still. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that and that is and and I think you're right about the voices in our culture. It's harder and harder to mm -hmm. find stillness, and mm -hmm. we have to be deliberate to, in order to do that. And, and maybe for some of us, this this. this um, Advent season coming up can be a time of, um, of, of less and not more and, and, and maybe a little bit of hunkering down and, and personal reflection and um, just a chance um, not to be consumed by a wave of, of not just commercialism, but just um, so many things, yeah. <laughs> inexplicable things. I'm hoping to be unhurried. That's my word for the season. My son's getting married December 29th, and so I know unhurried is probably not really the word for the day. But I'm going to keep it in my mind anyway and try to hold it in my heart. Yeah, sometimes mm -hmm. that'll do its work too. <laughs> I think it's especially rewarding to be quiet in Advent because you sink Put yourself in sync with the rhythms of the earth, at least here in the northern hemisphere, and especially the farther north you go up here in northern Mich in Michigan. And, and at Christmas time, before Christmas time, I'll be in northern Michigan. The earth's rhythms are slowing way down. And so you synchronize your body, which is made of the earth, with the earth. And you suddenly feel, I think, whole in a way you can't feel whole when you're unnaturally speeded up 
the way the culture, the commercialization of the culture anyway, wants you to be. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that there are animals in the book that are not being extremely still. They're, they're quieter, but they're not extremely still in Advent. And one of the things I loved about making the book was that there were 24 different ways to respond to mm-hmm. the season, not just one. That's neat. That's good. I, I think mm-hmm. that makes it kind of exciting. If, if it isn't a season to hunker down, then maybe there's another option, too, for, for yeah, different people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, well, I'm, 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 uh, your book is called, um, all creation waits. It's by Gail boss and it is just a wonderful book. You can get it at Paraclete press and you can get it on Amazon. Um, you can get it on for a Kindle and you can, um, buy a hard copy, which, um, it's a beautiful book. So, um, I, I highly recommend that you, um, take a look at the book and I am sure a lot of you will. And then Megan's book book is Hildegard's gifts and you can find it at a paraclete press also, and also on Amazon uh, where, and my book is, um, hallelujah, a guide to Advent. I think, I don't even know what the subtitle is right this second. Um, but it is also available. Um, basically it is, uh, we sold out of the hard copy copies. So we, you, you have to get it on Kindle right now, but if you, if you win a copy in Megan's drawings, then you will have a hard copy that I have signed. Mm -hmm. So, um, this, hopefully this uh, podcast will, will go up and you will still have time to sign up for, Megan's um, giveaway. When does that end, Megan? Well, I'm doing it in three different sections. Mine will be given away first on Thanksgiving Day, probably later in the day, because I'll have a lot to do earlier in the day. And then um, Gail's book, the drawing will be November 26th, and yours will be November 29th. So there's definitely time to sign up. Go to the blog, meganhoyt.net backslash blog, and it'll tell you everything about how to enter. It's really, really easy. You can enter up to six different times. I'll write your name down on six different pieces of paper mm-hmm. and put it all in a hat. <laughs> You'll have six chances to be drawn out of there if you do all six things. Like one is review my book. One is, you know, follow me on Twitter, comment on the blog. And you each have five different things you can do to for your drawings, too. So, um I still think there's plenty of time. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure when this will go up We're our schedule is a little, oh, it, right. I, I'm not, I, I talked to David and we're not sure when, so if this happens to go up after the drawing, we're really sorry about that. Um, but you can still order these books. Um, and we still, and they're still highly recommended. So we'll ho- hopefully we'll get them up this up in good time. And um, before we leave, I just want to ask you each, I'd love to ask people what they're reading, especially Mm -hmm. writers. It's always fun to find out what writers are reading. So, um, Gail, what are you reading right now? Uh, I'm reading a book by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, She's half Native American, and the book is about indigenous wisdom in a contemporary world. How can we learn some of the ways of respect of our Native American sisters and brothers in our contemporary world and live and live them. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a very good book. Uh, Megan, are you reading anything? Yes, I am reading an amazing book called Refugee. It's by a friend of mine, Alan Gratz, and it actually just became a New York Times bestseller. Mm-hmm. 
and he is over the moon about that. I mean, it's the timing of it. It's just perfect, and he's a brilliant writer. It's about three different children who are all refugees, but at different time periods, Mm -hmm. but they're all together in one book. One is escaping Cuba, one is escaping Syria, and one was escaping Nazis, a Jewish Mm -hmm. child. It's just, it's extraordinary. It all comes together beautifully, and I mean, you can see why it's a bestseller now. But I'm, I was really excited for him. I saw him at the last writers' conference I went to, and and actually I had seen him the week before at a book signing for a refugee, and I got my book and he signed it and we chatted. And then at the conference a few weeks later, it had hit the New York Times bestseller list, and so I was able to congratulate him on that. Um, but it's wonderful, refugee. Okay. It's a young adult, I guess, level. Um, not sure about middle grade because of the seriousness sure, of what happens. Sure. Okay, well, um, thank you very much. It has absolutely been wonderful to meet you, Gail, and um, it, uh, to talk to you about your book. And Megan, to, it's always fun to talk to you. Um, I, I wanted to put a plug in here for a friend of mine also. She um, I just recently was sent another book on Advent called Abraham's Advent by a girl named Lindsay Gallant. Gallant, and you can find that at the Red Letters blog. And I'll just leave it out there because Lindsay... Um, it, it, it's, I'm like this person who I, I just love Advent books on Advent. And um, um, so I, it's it's really encouraging that suddenly um, there are people writing things for Advent. So um, all of this is available. I hope you guys have fun um, um, looking into it and, and, and checking out all these books. So, um, but th- thank you very much, Gail. And thank you, Megan, for being on the Mason Thank you, Jar. Cindy, for the opportunity. It was so good.